Um, yes, sorry for being a bit late, guys. There's a bit of an incident in Villa World. Um, basically, someone has been harassing a friend of mine, someone who does like fan cams. That's like a Arsenal fan TV. Yeah. Like <laughs> We're yeah. fans of Arsenal um, fan TV. But he's, uh, his safety has been a, a threatened ahead of a game no um, this shit, Saturday shit. by someone who dresses up as a zebra. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, want to, I don't want to laugh at you, but like that's that is objectively funny. That is fucking hilarious. And what's worse is that he's left all the BDSM tweets on his account from 2013, where he likes being dominated as a dressed up as a zebra. Um, so it's been it's been a thing. It's been a thing. The world is just an infinitely um just variable place. No, you can't make it up. I mean, what I like about all this is, like, we live in this absolute fucking hell world, but at least, like, everyone who at one point was, like, really unironically invested in everything has now developed a huge, like, sense of humor for this stuff, and it's just, like, how cool is it that, like, our president, like, paid off a porn star? (laughs) Two porn stars. Two Two porn stars. And then, like, that wasn't even, like, the biggest story of the week regarding I know, no. The biggest story, though, is that he eats free fucking hamburgers and watches free TV screens. And is only and, uh... 239 pounds. <laughs> but I like all the images that have, like, surfaced of him, like, next to these NFL players. It's like, here's six foot three inch, 239 pound <laughs> Donald Trump next to six foot three inch, 239 pound Latavius Murray. <laughs> 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 so good. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, it was James, dude, I was listening to your latest podcast. Um, I was so into your discussion about this, like one of my favorite tropes in all of superhero shit and all of comics, which is like the uh, conceit that like these fucking psychopath terrorists are just kind of released from jail on occasion because of like good behavior and like, oh, like as if the guy with like the evil arms in his back like, is going to somehow, like, recuperate after, like, a couple of months. Like, oh, yeah, he's cool now. Like, we can let him go. Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, some crime... You, you can rehabilitate criminals, you know. Um, You can, you know... They're not stealing... If, if he's stealing a few briefcases, I think it's fine to let him go. I mean, if he's a domestic terrorist, on the other hand... um. I'm all for Guantanamo on that occasion. But, like, isn't, uh, like, a, the a... whole thing, like, he tried to build, like, a hydrogen bomb? <laughs> like, this isn't, like, the guy that, like, snagged someone's purse, right? Like, or, yeah. like, sold a couple of bags of weed. Like, this is, like, a fucking he, psychopath. He didn't come just swooping in and steal a briefcase or anything or get some jewels. He could he be really good at him. that, though, with his arms, just for whatever it's worth. Like, well, I, I mean, it's just... I mean, the real thing is, it's just like the fifth time that Dr. Octopus tries to like blow everything the fuck up. Like maybe yeah. that's when you start having some lead, like three strikes being a supervillain. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a step up because I think it's like the third issue. So it's all kind of street level criminals. And then suddenly someone's fucking hijacking a nuclear facility. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, zero, zero to 60. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's as good a place. Any. Let's just go ahead and start the show. Um, hi everybody, welcome. This is uh, Flying Through Batman, and this is your host Gabe Lezra, and we're discussing today how it's totally cool and normal to dress up in a black uh, bat suit and fly war machines to beat up homeless people. I'm joined by my co-host, uh, no, I'm just kidding, uh, but yeah, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, obviously, that is um, a loving tribute to our guest, 
James Rushton. James, um, James, you're here to talk about AC Milan, but I was I would also like to quickly, and that's what this joke is about. Plug your other podcast, uh, Swinging Through Spider Man. Everyone should check that out. It's awesome. Welcome to the show, James. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. One of my favorite podcasts. Uh, let's fix football. Uh, sometimes I don't know what you guys run about. I don't know about the whole US soccer thing because it is complex, convoluted, and complicated. Um, so I just stick to Spider Man and nuclear facilities and atomic crimes, <laughs> domestic terrorism, that kind of thing. But yeah, thanks for shouting that out, Gabe. Amazing. Uh, we've had a really good reaction to it. It's a really stupid thing because I'm podcasting about something I know almost nothing about. Um, but we're discovering, me and Brad, my co-host, discovering new things every week. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, that's what I like so most, uh, much about your show. I mean, obviously, hi, Evan. Your Evan Matier is also here. He is um, unfortunately no longer on narcotic painkillers, despite having his um, stomach ripped open by a medical uh, person only a couple days ago. Uh, Evan... It, it was, in fact, a doctor. I, I shilled for a doctor as my particular medical person, a surgeon even. Um, to perform my emergency appendectomy, which was a lot of fun. Um, it was kind of, my stomach started to hurt, and then it hurt more, and then it hurt more, and then they cut it open and took my appendix out. So that was fun. Um, and yeah, I'm out of narcotics, which is a shame. Um, but now I'm able to drink, which is good, because I have a rule about podcasting sober, which is that I never fucking do that. Right, and that's why I wanted to bring you into the conversation right now, because as James was saying, like, Talking about shit we don't really know about, like the whole point of this show oh, yeah. was for me and Evan to like get into MLS and like we don't know anything. About, I mean, like we didn't really. And now like we kind of follow USSF, which is like its own type of shithole. But uh, so, yeah, um, obviously, James, you're here to talk about Milan. But I think before we and that's like kind of where we were going to go with this show. But before we do that, I think that we want you to um, weigh in on like one of the most important debates that Evan and I have had i think on the show generally but like really in our lives which is um george clooney's batman you know uh i'm i'm thinking that one of the hardest arguments in all of uh comics and all of superhero and just generally in all of arguments entirely in the world is to try to justify somehow that he is the world's best batman and so yeah, I, uh, I'd like to hear you uh, hear your opinions on uh, George because I think Evan is a little bit more of a fan than I am. Um, I can't really disagree with the notion that he's a good Batman. It's not that he's the best Batman, but like Batman is someone who's been really kind of poorly portrayed. If we're talking about comics and stuff, in the comics he's almost a psychopath. Like he's he's on the fucking edge all the time about this quest. You know, it's never going to be fulfilled. He's never going to make Gotham a better place because it's an absolute shithole. He's never going to fulfill that quest. It's never going to happen. Um, you know, we have serious portrayals of Batman. We have overly serious portrayals of Batman. Uh, I like, I do like the George Clooney one, but that's because I've seen the Ben Affleck one and the Ben Affleck <laughs> one. Is, it is um it is a bit boring and I, I do like people who bring bring a bit to themselves. Um I think I mean we've got Christian Bale, I don't think that was anyone's choice at all for Batman. Christian Bale's kind of this, you know, he was a skinny, you know, he's Welsh. It, it, it didn't make any sense for me when he was <laughs> cast Welsh. as Batman. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it it didn't make any sense for me when he was cast as Batman and uh when people are perfectly cast for the role, it doesn't seem to be that great. Like Jake Gyllenhaal's just gonna be boring, he could be brilliant. But it's because it's the person you expect it to be. And Michael Keaton's a favorite of mine because, yeah. I, I mean, I have the ability to, you know, I have hindsight in this. I was born after those films were made. 
Um, but when you look back, it just seems like from now, it seems like why would anyone cast Michael Keaton at all in a Batman film? It it, it seems like there was so much more, you know, mus- muscular actors, yeah, uh, better leading men. It just seems insane to it's, me that that would have happened. It's I'm so, in line with George Clooney. Yeah, that's such a good point. Except and 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 what the really cool part about all that is is that Michael Keaton ended up being one of the best Batman. And I will also add. Michael Keaton, really good actor. I, I'm a big fan of Michael Keaton, and I'm a big fan of his like late career renaissance. I mean, obviously, like the semi biographical movie Birdman was like absolutely beautiful. I mean, I don't know Evan if you like that shit as much, but I was I'm I'm a huge Michael Keaton guy. Um, but I also like the different contrasts in the Batman character. I mean, and you're obviously you're more of a uh, you've taught you're, you're working through Spider-Man, which is um, a fascinating character when it comes to all this stuff in terms of media portrayals, because I feel like they basically have never done Spider-Man really correctly because he's basically a kid. But they always cast like 35 year old dudes who just like get uh, waxes on their face like well, 30 year old one, right? I mean. Right. So like until until Homecoming, where they actually, I think, took a stab at, at doing teenage high school Spider-Man who's like a little like immature for his role. And they, and, you know, they're tucking that all into the Avengers storyline with Tony Stark as a father figure, whatever. Um, but they're kind of taking a stab at that right now. Yeah, I have to defend Tobey Maguire here because uh, the, the first three Spider-Man films, they kind of get shit on a tiny little bit. But after, re- I'm a massive Batman fan, by the way. Um, Batman's my number one. I read mostly every single Batman yeah. comic that's kind of in existence. Um, but after reading the first, you know, 10 or 11 or so Spider-Man comics, you know, the amazing Spider-Man back from the 60s, I have to say, Tobey Maguire is kind of, I'm looking back on him as a good thing now because he's a fucking dork. Yeah. Like he does, he's a, you know, Peter Parker's not this great character who's brave and heroic. Like sometimes he's a, he's a bit of an ass. And I do, you know, when he dances in Spider-Man Three, I cringe at that. I internally, <laughs> like, like, it leaks out of me. Yeah, but, it's like one of the worst scenes ever made uh, in in the history of the medium, which is pretty cool when you think about it in context. Especially because I actually will go to the mat for Spider Man One and Two with Tobey Maguire. I'm not saying no, that, so like, will I. They're they're pretty good movies. Like I think they give a shit on. Like the third one fucking blows, but the first two are fine. And like interestingly, the Andrew Garfield ones, like he also kind of you know mm. kind of sucked. But like those movies, really, their flaw was that they were a solid hour too long each, and like that was it. Like otherwise, they're pretty good movies too. Anyways, this is um not a podcast about where we all talk about movies as much as like I could definitely do that the whole time, all day. <laughs> like all day. Um, this is a show to talk about football. So we've got. On the agenda, we got to talk about Milan. Um, we've got to talk uh, a little bit about transfer stuff um, and uh, the rumor, or I, I don't know if he's been confirmed yet, but uh, the move for Sanchez, Alexis over to United. Um, and then uh, I wanted to just briefly mention uh, the article that and some of the some of the brewing controversy around the kind of weird. Uh, uh, comments that a number of U.S. soccer people have made about dual nationals, given the Jonah Gonzalez stuff in the article that Liz and I wrote. Um, but we're going to touch more on that next week. So we'll do a little bit now, but we're going to touch more on that next week. We're bringing on Kevin McCauley to talk about his article where he interviewed people like Hercules Gomez to talk about how U.S. soccer is essentially critically overlooking an entire population of very talented potential players uh, for a very 
you know, uncomplicated <laughs> series of reasons. But before we get into any of that, James, let's talk a little bit about Milan. Um, so why don't you explain what's exactly going on? Because as far as I understand, that reports have uh, surfaced over the last week or so that Italian police have begun a money laundering investigation into the Berlusconi sale. Yeah, um, I don't really, I can't really say that I know what's going on because I don't think there's actually anyone that kind of really knows the full picture or full story. You know, things come out all the time. Like you guys had on your uh, website when uh, Liz wrote that article about Milan, fantastic article. It goes in so deep, but deeper than I could ever go in because of the backgrounds and of what you've studied and all the experience you've gained. But it's just the situation at Milan is so, it's so strange because I don't think, I certainly can't remember seeing anything like, like this happen to such a big club. I mean, when you're talking big clubs, you're talking Real, Barcelona, Manchester United, Liverpool, and AC Milan. Yeah. And I don't think anything like this has happened to one of those quadrant of, you know, that small c- cluster of clubs where they have suddenly, I don't know what's happening. I don't know if the guy, Young Kong Lee, who, uh, who quote unquote owns the club, has any money. Um, I don't know, <laughs> Silvio. Now, allegedly, Silvio Berlusconi may have sold the club to an unknown party just to launder the money. Um, I say that allegedly because we don't know. I mean, Berlusconi's got his flaws and he's a bit weird, but we can't actually say he's sold the club to launder the money if he hasn't. And it could, it could be that he hasn't. It could be that some complete random has come. He's forged assets and he's bought the club. But we may have the assets. Um, it's really, really, really one of the most up-in-the-air situations that I've ever seen revolve around a football club because this guy could have everything he says but it's extremely doubtful um i can't go too deep on the money laundering stuff because i it's literally something that has kind of been tucked away they found a police report and it said oh they're might they're suspicious activity right so that sends people yeah so i agree with you james that nobody knows the full picture but i am happy to speculate um, so, so I, so I did some, uh, I've done some money laundering work, um, in the past, um, legal work. And so I, I have some experience with, you know, how international money laundering regulations work. And so I, and I read around these and I have some, just some thoughts that are, like I said, complete speculation really about what might be going on. So a lot of the articles throw around the word money laundering, and I think they are using it in a way that's a little bit imprecise just because we think money laundering we think like oh you've got a bunch of dirty drug cash that you need to convert into something usable in banks and just general life and that is you know fundamentally what money laundering is but money laundering regulations a lot of times are they, they refer to something more broadly that um, has to do with just money that has been used incident to any criminal action, fraud, something like that, moving through the financial system. Banks are supposed to keep an eye out for this and report it when it happens. So in the U.S., that would be called a suspicious activity report. In Italy, apparently, it's called like suspicious operations and SOS, something like that. So my theory here is is we have kind of that fact of how the system operates, and then we have this this kind of potential fact that maybe this guy, it turns out, doesn't actually have any money, and maybe he falsified assets in order to get the loans he needed to justify purchasing Milan or actually be able to physically, you know, close the deal. So my thought is that when they came out that Lee might not have any actual cash, the banks then went back and looked to see do, do they know have, have some of the fundamental information about the money that they're supposed to have in order to, under the regulations, 
you know, work on a deal without reporting to the authorities? Do they know whose money it is? Do they know where it came from, what its source was, where it's going, all that stuff? They might have realized, we didn't really know as much about this guy's assets as we thought we did or what we thought we knew came into question. They then filed the SOS with the Italian authorities who are now looking into it uh, to see whether or not some kind of fraud has been committed. That's kind of my theory that yeah. rather, rather rather than a theory that there has been that Berlusconi had illicit funds that were laundered through the transaction. My theory really is that the Italian authorities are looking to see whether or not a fraud happened uh, essentially between Lee and the bank um, when he claimed certain assets to justify the the, the purchase of the club. Here's what I'll say. I, I think it's really immoral of Silvio Berlusconi to uh, launder the money that he used to start ISIS through this club. I think it's really bad. <laughs> no, but it, <laughs> in all in all seriousness, here's here's what I so I actually also this is like a really weird confluence because I, I didn't plan on doing a real deep dive with this stuff, but I, I'll, I'll note also this: I actually did also used to practice law in banking regulation. And one of the things that we would advise and, and in the United States maybe that's different from Italy is that, that basically there are a series of transactions that or types of transactions that trigger the submission of an SAR, suspicious activity report, to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network in the United States or FinCEN. And a lot of times there's not actually any uh, there's not any any human being that looks over those when they're when they're triggered, if that makes sense. So there's actually just a series of parameters that you program because these banks do these huge amounts of transactions all the time. Like th this is the kind of thing that could have been because they said there are three different uh, indications of suspicious operations. It could literally just be that parts of the deal and, and the way the deal was financed included they, a transfer of money from accounts that have previously been flagged by one of the international regulators as potentially suspicious and a transfer of more than like say 10,000 euros from that account would trigger in the United States at least an SAR right away. Not with like, not with any real like human being looking at it and being like, well, why would like that foundation accept all that money from like Osama bin Laden's brother? But like, you know, just like, oh, this guy got $10,000 from an, a you know, Caribbean bank account where we're not exactly sure who owns it, right? And that might trigger an SAR. So it could be, like you said, James, totally, totally benign. Uh, it, the way Liz described the finances, it doesn't seem like uh, Lee himself is totally benign, but it's very possible that the deal itself and Berlusconi, I hate to say this, it may actually have a benign situation going on his his own hands, despite yeah. well benign, more like six and a half. <laughs> right, you're right. I think it's just fair to say that it's very possible that the problem is on Lee's end and not Berlusconi's end. And if one last little point, and it's just a little note, is that at least in the U.S. and I'm pretty sure it's the same in the European Union, the the banks have a duty to file some kind of suspicious activity report whenever they get information that would lead them to think the activity was suspicious. So you even do it retroactively. If you yeah, find out yeah, that yeah, something yeah. was suspicious for something you did years ago, you would then file the report even even though if you missed it the first time. Right, and, and they, they do that. Explain why you missed yeah, it. And, and they do that because if um, in the United States, if they're caught in uh, having not filed one, the penalty, there's treble penalties um, with interest. That's, so it's, it is a crushing bad. blow. Yeah, bad news bears. So, um, so that's, that's kind of my whole take on, on what might be going on. It, you know, it, 
I, I don't want to use the word routine because there's not, it's like not necessarily routine. Like these are serious investigations when they happen. Um, but it's just maybe not as sensational as maybe the way it put it. It might not be as sensational as some of the speculation in news outlets are. I mean, if uh, Silvio Berlusconi is like the most legit character in these dealings, <laughs> that's like the biggest worry to me. <laughs> 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 He's a dodgy bloke. I think we could, it's fair to say, you know, you can read about him, and it's all on record. All he likes sex, get. folks. He likes sex with prostitutes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, sorry. What, what, <laughs> That's, like, the what, least what, objectionable what? thing about him, too. I mean... <laughs> well, no, look, I, I agree. I think that one of the crucial parts of this is that the problem, right, that, that we're all identifying is that while this could absolutely be routine, the parties, what we know on background about these parties, right, is that it's hard to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no, it's oh, really, really, yeah. Just, just That's awful. completely true. It's like, I, I like to, but nothing about the way you've conducted yourself as Berlusconi uh, throughout his career would ever indicate that we should like take him at his word about anything. I mean, like, and like, what's really cool about him. I mean, look, he's like really one of my favorite world international political figures, right? Like, obviously he was elected prime minister of Italy while he was under house arrest. Like he sort of rules, uh, you know, I mean, obviously he's terrible and a sexual predator and like a, all these awful things, but he's also like, like he does kind of like, it's kind of funny. And like, the fact that he's involved still is is terrible for Milan because it's taken years to get the stink of the Berlusconi era off of this club. Yeah, uh, it's just all bad all round. I mean, even if everything turned out legit, things would still be bad because look at the on-pitch performance and stuff. Milan aren't kicking on. You know, um, I think people are going crazy about Real Madrid's performance right now, and they're like fourth or fifth. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yep. Milan are hanging off the edge, you know, of the top ten. They are in it's, it's pretty critical for a club of their size. Yeah. Um, you know, if it, Liverpool finish seventh, it'll be a disaster. If you know Arsenal go through a crisis every season, um, Milan, uh, you know, you could argue that they're equal or bigger in stature to those clubs, and they are just hanging off the arse of Serie A. They are falling out of place. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that my take actually was, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you say, because Montella, right, the previous manager, and this is like a little tangent, he actually, you know, Milan fired him, uh, and he came to uh, Sevilla in, in Spain, and the first match in charge, he lost, like, the most important match that Sevilla plays all year, which is the local Seville derby against Betis, which literally hadn't won in Sevilla Stadium in, like, two decades and lost that a 5-3 to three in, in their own stadium in his first match. My theory is that, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe he's not a great coach. Um, yeah, I mean... It's, it's a lot of problems with every coach, I think. You, you, you know, you look at people who do well for Sampdoria or any any club that's under Milan or just hovering around them. And you hire them and they come to Milan and they don't do as good as a job. Uh, I don't know who you could hire to do a good job at Milan because the, yeah. the off-the-pitch off situation is just constantly in flux. I mean, Gattuso, um, I forgot what side he managed before. I think it's Pisa. Um, but they have an incredible defensive record, so he came with, come to Milan with some sort of pedigree as a defensive coach, whereas that's not exactly what's happened. He hasn't been able to implement his ideas. I think the problem with Milan, especially Montea, 
is that we hired, we brought in Leo Benucci. He's a, the, probably the most senior figure in Italian football. When you have someone like that on the pitch, does that conflict with what the manager's saying? Is you know, it, where does the respect go? Because there's only a certain amount of respect I feel that people can have, and it you know diverts to certain people. I mean, if you you pay all your respect to Benucci, someone who's won almost everything he can possibly win. Um, regard in you know not a Champions League. I have to say that as a fan, <laughs> I have to throw the dig. But um, <laughs> if Montella's offering instructions and Benucci's disregarding them, I don't think he will. I don't think that's a situation. But who did people listen to in that dressing room? I don't think. I think there's only one man who can probably ha- hold a say over Benucci, and that's Gattuso, just because he shouts louder. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I think no manager could really survive at Milan right now. I think Montella went to Sevilla. I'm not sure how he's done since then. Um, obviously, it started off badly. I'm not. It, he's, he's got the makings of a good coach. Uh, he yeah. does have the makings of a good coach, but Sevilla is in a bit of a dumpster fire right now themselves. Uh, yeah. I mean, they lost, obviously, their coach to PSG, the guy who led them to back-to-back Europa League titles and whatnot. But, I mean, uh, I actually, like, as a kid, I loved Gattuso. He was one of those people that, even though he played against Milan, like against Madrid all the time, he was he was so cool. But what, what, what this reminds me of bringing in Bonucci it's it's a fascinating comparison to when Real Madrid went out uh, and and they had this ter- like it was the end of the Galactico era and they had this really really porous shitty defense where they had just brought in a young Sergio Ramos who's playing on the on the right and moving into the center um, and they they went out and they got Fabio Cannavaro who was you know they got at a huge discount obviously because it was literally the season after Calciopoli so like. Uh, but he came in and bolstered the defense for about a year, and then the defensive record fell apart. Also, even though like they had arguably the best defender in the entire world and one of the all-time great defenders uh, in Cannavaro playing, you know, anchoring that defense. I think it's a lot for the same reasons. Like it's very hard to determine who to listen to when you have you know a lot of different voices in that dressing room. And when defenses especially require a, a huge amount of harmony, right, to execute a proper strategy. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, Milan had a, a revolutionary summer. They've brought in loads of players who they probably can't afford. And they brought in some high-profile players. You know, you've got Andre Silva, probably the future of Portugal. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo's obviously said that he's his heir. Um, then you've brought in people like Benucci. And then you brought in B- Billion in the middle of the midfield, someone who compares to Montalivos. You know, you brought all, in all these leaders. And where does the respect go? Where does it funnel to? Where does it, you know, how do the offer pitch situations affect Milan? Um, it doesn't look great. I mean, things could be better. They could be a lot, they could be a lot worse. I think we have to say they could be yeah. dire. Um, especially on the pitch. I mean, at least Milan are, are kind of winning here and then to keep them in a, a Europa League, um, you know, in the, that Europa League picture in Serie yeah. Um So, you know, things could be a lot worse. They could be a lot better. I'm really concerned about Elliot, though. Um, I yeah. think we've mentioned them a lot. Um, it's come out recently that Elliot may just want to just keep their deal going and build the debt up and uh, eventually take a bigger piece of Milan. No, um, I think they want to keep Lee around is kind of the, the whispers I'm hearing is that they want to keep the current team in charge and just let this thing ride out. And that's probably the worst case scenario. The bigger, or the, I'm not, I don't really understand the situation too hard because you hear so many conflicting mm-hmm. reports coming from, you know, accurate sources. You hear in Forbes say one thing, the New York times say another, and they're, you know, they've got, yeah, in, they're plugged in, the in with, with Elliot, right? Like these are people who talk to these journals a lot, right? Like in the States, it's just, 
I mean, the problem is that activist investors also use the press to make the whatever investment the make the, the whatever investment they want uh, operate they the way they they want them to right which is fucking terrible when it comes to a sports team like if you have an activist investor uh basically you know trying to direct things from through the press it's it's an absolute catastrophe i mean and like regardless of how how lee or whether lee is like a <laughs> I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm also. I gotta tell you. I, I'm really interested in both your points on this because I'm. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all this stuff with Lee, especially having read Liz's article. Like, I have no idea if this guy's like the greatest con man of all time, or like Evan and I are big fans of scams, right? But like, if this guy's like the greatest scammer ever, or if he's just like the bag man, right? Like the guy who got caught holding the bag after like a huge even more intricately intricately operated scam involving other people and then like this this company which is like going to make a killing if they basically keep this you know dude holding the bag uh for them as they load up this team that they eventually like tank i mean like it's it's all i mean like there are a lot of scenarios that involve a very very big catastrophe and it's a catastrophe that as um, I think since last time you were on the show, James, we've done now a couple episodes on FFP. It's a catastrophe that FFP was literally designed to prevent. And now they've been essentially unable to do so. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I've wrote a few articles about Aston Villa, the club, I, you know, my local team, the club I live next to in their situation. And that seems a bit dire when they can't buy players. Um, the other side of the coin is Milan, who are just spending relentlessly and that an owner is coming out of nowhere. Like, nobody knows who this guy is. There's, you know, no records of what he's done. There was forged bank statements and stuff in the build-up to the transfer. He couldn't find any investors. <laughs> These are all red flags popping everywhere. And UEFA allowed, essentially, one of their biggest assets, something that brings people from across the world into the game, to kind of fall in, under this shroud. And it, it's insane. It's genuinely insane how this guy's turned up out of nowhere. If true, if it's true that he's, you know, a con man, that he's turned up out of absolutely nowhere. I mean, it, I mean, there a... are just so many. I mean, the, so to just start with like the staggering number of kind of unknown billionaires in like China and Southeast Asia, just to start with, like, it, it sounds crazy that someone could show up and you would have no idea who this person is, but they're saying I've got a billion dollars and can buy this club. Except for I'm not even, sh- I'm not sure that that's like super crazy. They, like, it's not even just in sports, but you have, you know, you have like, you know, Chinese investor groups kind of like this buying up you know, ancient Bordeaux wine houses and all types of stuff. And, and so, you know, the, the concept Full disclosure, that, Evan's wife, Lois, who's wonderful, is also in the wine business. She is. <laughs> she's, she's, she's starting the wine industry. So I have a little exposure in that world too. I'm on soccer Twitter and wine Twitter. How do you, how about that? <laughs> oh my God. There's uh, wine Twitter. Really? Oh, dude, dude, there's wine Twitter. Well, Wait, well I'll, it... I, all right, I'm sorry. I don't want to derail this too much, but like, are the flame wars as funny as I think they are? Yo, it's like, oh, I like this $80 bottle of wine. Oh, that's cheap, overpriced. Swill, you should drink this $80 bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. It's exactly uh, as good as I expected. That's awesome. Oh, dude, dude, it's amazing. I'll send you some screen caps later. It's, it's really fantastic. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, so like, I, I just think that, you know, so it, it actually doesn't surprise me that much that, that like, you know, murky Chinese billionaire would show up and have, and like not have, and, and that there wouldn't be, there's so much opacity in the Chinese economy that makes it really hard to know where anybody's money comes from because um, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of state money slushing around. 
Um, it's just not like it's just not as simple as you know maybe a Western billionaire whose assets are in boring things like equities, and you can kind of just check. Um, it's like that doesn't surprise me too much. What what interests me about this whole situation, especially with the private equity fund, is you know if they load up. So that, you know, Milan was bought for what about a billion dollars, something like that. Seven. I think we can. I think we could happily say almost that. Yeah. It was closer yeah, to that than some, nothing. Yeah, something like that. So like, it, you know, in the one hand, you would say, okay, a strategy for private equity fund would be load these guys up with debt, buy a lot of good players, but then crucially, you have to perform well so that you can drive up the value and sell them, right? That would, and then you don't care the fact that they're laden with debt. That's but again, yeah, again, also the like, debt, the debt stuff, like you only put up a tiny amount of your own equity and you take out huge loans, right? That's how you multiply your own profit. So if you put up $10 million and take out $900 million in loans and then sell the club for $1.5 billion, you've made a huge profit, right? Yeah, except for a 10th or 12th place Milan is arguably not going to bring you back a billion dollars, right? Crucially, I think is is them performing, and so I, I what I'm what I'm getting at is I'm really curious to see how these guys respond, because you know private equity funds generally work on a pretty short to midterm um, investment schedule. Um, how these guys respond when oh shit we spent all these money all this money on players we can't afford and Milan is still struggling to be in the top ten like what do you do then you know what do you do in a non sporting situation where you've spent a ton of money on a company you've been, you've lo- done the loading up on debt you thought you got it to a place where it was going to be profitable so you yeah. can sell it off and then it's not like I don't actually know what the private equity handbook is to do that do you just cut losses and run is that what they would do I don't it, I really have no clue it's just uh, curious to me what they what they might do um and i guess that's you know kind of in a grave way really interesting question for milan fans given that that's sort of the situation they're looking well at. it's the kind of gallows humor that you have to have when you're staring down the barrel of like the potential like scam like artist dude who's owning the club or like that guy actually not being a scammer but just being an idiot or the private equity fund uh that is just literally vulture capitalist shitbags owning your team like i i mean i don't envy like i i'm just trying to <laughs> i'm not even making a joke yeah i'm just trying to be like spell out sort of like the only way i see like the, the the way you you must be like kind of handling it because like the only way to deal with this shit is to like kind of understand well, the the gallows humor and how funny it is I- but may, there, I think that there's potentially good and bad story, like good and bad paths for it to take, right? So I don't even think it's quite as grim as like as as maybe you do. I think that you could have a situation where these guys just try to cut losses and run and basically leave Milan a shambles, or you could have a situation where, you know, clown you know, worthless owner is pushed aside for contractual reasons, whatever he's found to not have any money, default, whatever it is, Elliot comes in and decides that, you know, okay, and and basically brings a smarter, more savvy, more long-term or midterm vision to the club that's not like, let's buy a bunch of expensive players to try to win this year, but actually does a five-year rebuild, cuts out the crappy talent brings in you know the crappy contracts brings in younger players right basically decides that the best way for them to make money is to set milan on a good trajectory get them so that they can make a pitch on a powerpoint to an investor that they're headed the right direction and yeah. then hopefully make your billion dollars back right i think that's a potential way out of this too um, yeah. i just have no idea which one's going to happen well right and um i mean 
the truth is that when we say that private equity works on a really short time frame, we're talking short for like the investment cycle, which is incredibly short for a sports team. Like a a, a private equity firm operates on such a short timeline that just, their their kind of th- stuff is like they'll they'll turn they'll buy and then turn around a cl- like a, a a company in like a quarter or two, not even like a, a year. Yeah, I mean, more often my understanding is is two, three years, um, up to five years is kind of a, a window. But they do sometimes do very quick turnarounds. They sometimes hang on to things longer. I did a little bit of work um, uh, with a, a private equity case. So I learned a little bit about the industry there. Um, I got it. I actually that- have to disclose something. I did one thing once in my corporate law career for Elliott Management, actually. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Well, they were considering buying or putting a big stake in a midwest sporting goods store and i think people can try to figure hey out <laughs> well we i i sued a private a, a private equity fund and cannot say what anything else about the case other than we sued them so i have my own thoughts on private equity funds uh <laughs> generally um, hi I james about, sorry about anyway so i guess my broader point is <laughs> Maybe if you want a ray of hope in your Milan fan is they decide that they're going to sit on this thing for, you know, two, three, four years, you know, trim it up, lean it up, get it going the right way, sell off for a lot of money and and, and not just cut their losses, uh, you know, tomorrow. Well, and the way what James, what you were saying about how, like, they actually are going to be backing this dude, that actually does indicate that they may be taking trying to take a more long term vision, which actually would be a good thing, I think. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, as you, you both said, there are good and bad sides to this. I think there might be more bad than good, I guess, because it's financial insecurity at the end of the day. However, if they are looking for some kind of stability and they are looking for a rebuild, it's a good gamble for them to take, Elliot, because you get one of the world's biggest football clubs for like 300 million, I think. I think that's their stake in all of this. Yeah, way not... cut rate, way cut rate. That's pro- that is low. And uh, I think you have to hold your hands up and say that's that's why they're at the top of their game because they can find opportunities like that. And I think the opportunity cost for them is extremely low. You know, it's something that is it's almost fell into their hands. Like this guy is, you know, whether he's an unknown or not, has kind of just wandered to them looking for money. They've been more than happy to give it to him because it's going to be almost impossible for him to pay back at this point. I don't know where he finds the money from. I think he's scrambling around at the moment, actually trying to find a investors or B a loan to pay off the loan or to get the loan from Elliot refinanced. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So it does look like this club is going to fall in the hands of Elliot management where we don't know what's going to happen. Best case scenario, I think, is they do what you say and they try and make something useful out of Milan rather than tanking the club because I don't think it really benefits them hugely to kind of sell off their assets, you know, for you know cut prices. They'd have to sell up, uh, you know, whatever bids yeah, they're throwing in. Point. Yo, if you're a like if you are a financial journalist who's like a soccer fan and you speak Italian, which would probably be important in this, there's a great fucking book in here when this is all done. Oh hell like, yeah. so, somebody should go and write this book. Like this Liz, is just if you're listening to this, like yeah. this this could be a way out of your job right now. Um here's fucking <laughs> awesome. Um so I, I wanna transition because um you know, we've we've been chatting for a while now about this and I think it's really interesting. Uh 
But I mean, I think we may have basically exhausted like the 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 scope of of, of sort of where we can what we can say at this point. The the financial police stuff is fascinating, but you're right. You're both right. Obviously, we genuinely have no idea what the upshot is. But what I will say is, I am really really excited about the idea of this this guy as like an incredibly good scammer because as Evan and I have talked about on previous episodes, we're huge fans of scams. And this is reminding me a little bit of like this guy coming in and just telling everyone he has lots of money and that the money he has is great and it's related to all these things and then them just pouring money into him. It's reminding me a lot, Evan, of this unbelievable all-time great scam that they're doing in Silicon Valley right now called raw water where like so good it's like people selling bath water to like venture capitalists uh because they're like well here's the thing when you like wash your you know dog in this water like the minerals from the dog's like sweat or whatever go into your body and you need the algae and whatnot and like this (laughs) this is uh one of my like soccer version of that like this guy's like yeah like i have these totally real and not fake mining interests in china and like i'm best friends with like you know the president and premier of china and like i'm a communist like the high level operator in china like steven seagal uh and uh they're like oh cool like here's Three hundred million dollars and like a, a third of a billion dollars. I mean, so okay, you need you need so you need two things it's to like pull soccer off. It's like soccer juicero. You need two two things to pull off a really good scam. You see it in every good scam in raw water everywhere, right? You need imagination to come up with something just completely ridiculous, and then you just need like really big fucking balls to yeah. stand there and say to somebody's face, "Yes, this is valuable. Yeah, this I'm, is good for you." Exactly. And the only problem I'm with, all. With, the only problem with this dude is like the people that he's hurting are not like Silicon Valley douchebags who are going to like shit themselves to death because they got Amy biases. Like he's actually hurting like normal, like working class people in Milan who just well, well, like Gabe, what, what I ask you as a, as a legal soccer journalist is have you looked at the eminent domain laws in Italy? <laughs> <laughs> I I I have not Evan, but guess what? I bet I bet if uh, if if uh, the government wanted to, they could seize the crap out of that club. <laughs> it, it is a it is a power that is fundamental to 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 sovereignty. So, <laughs> James, I don't know if you read these, but I wrote a series of articles about how the uh, uh, state of Ohio should seize an MLS team, basically just to fuck over the owner out of spite. <laughs> I'm ha- yeah, I'm down with that completely. Uh, you know, I think you got to seize that means of production. If the means is the Columbus Crew, then you got to seize it. If the means are racing Milan, you, you seize them. Seize them. Um, absolutely. You know, break off your chains, unite. I'm down. At this point, I'm down for the most extreme methods. I mean, do you know what the stupidest shit about this is? Is that like AC Milan was essentially a state-owned club because the president owned oh, I them. Know. That's so good. It's uh, it's also it's cr- good. It's crazy how Milan have probably went from one of the more fascist clubs in the world <laughs> under Berlusconi to something that's probably on the brink of complete communist ownership. <laughs> or at least in the style where the state possesses it and it's given to the fans. And you know, that could be a really good thing, to be honest. But, I would um, love we'll, to see that. An, an anarcho-syndicalist club. 
they have got the right colors, the red and black. Yeah, they do. They, have, they, do. they do have the oh, right. Oh no, colors. you're so right. They do. Holy shit. Yo, this reminds mm-hmm. me. I don't know if you guys know of this team called uh, FC United of Manchester. But, yes. Uh, yeah, they, I love them. Absolutely yeah, incredible. Huge fan. They were formed, Evan, after uh, the Glazers bought Manchester United by um, a disgusted Manchester United fan group. Uh, and they're owned collectively by the by the fans and the players, and they are like a <laughs> communist ass, socialist ass uh, football club. They they literally have banners that say "Our flag is red" on them, which is like, of course, they, like they're red, like whatever. But it's also like absolutely not an accident that there's that uh, overlap. Yeah, they're a brilliant. They are a brilliant club. Um, they they do football right, which is weird because you kind of think of oh, if there was a communist or a socialist football club, maybe they wouldn't do well. Maybe <laughs> there'd be a niche thing, but they're actually risen through the table really rapidly. You can actually play as them on Football Manager. No, they shit, are in the really? lowest league, but they are they're in the database. They're officially in the database with all oh the players, all the staff. And they've got a rivalry with Salford, Salford City, who are owned by the class of '92. Um, if you recall, you know Gary Neville or <laughs> Skull. So there is a battle happening That's in so the National cool. League North. I want <laughs> I want somebody to I want to see a screen cap if anybody has gotten this club to the Premier League. In Dude, football I'll do Manager. it. I I love Football Manager. I I actually haven't figured out how to make it work on my new That's Mac. So fucking hard. Um. So, sorry about the digression. I will also just say that I I can talk for hours about like about great scams i don't know by the way evan if you saw like the tanking of all the crypto markets recently but no it's all so good i mean i just want so like we've stumbled into doing this podcast that's mostly about bad takes and i love it because bad takes are amazing yeah but if there was any other concept i would build a podcast around it would 100 percent be scams yeah great scams like i you guys think that reduced stability is a scam I was thinking like, about it actually. Like, if you were them, gonna if you were gonna build a account literally just to appeal to like the segment of idiots who like really take themselves seriously, he would he would be yeah, but, it. Yeah, but here's the thing: I don't th- I don't know if registability is a scam because I think a scam has to have some kind of self consciousness. Like, you have to know that you're scamming. There's intent behind scamming. You can't just be, you can't just, you can't just, you know, be completely, I don't know, shallow and, 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 you know, I, I don't know. You, you have to know that you're doing it. You, you can't really believe the raw water is good for the people you're selling it to or else you're just scamming yourself. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, I mean, uh, you, you build that following, you get that Patreon money, you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what we're trying to do with this show. Like, we just get drunk and talk about scams and pretend it's soccer. Uh, <laughs> speaking of actual shit, though, we 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 should at least mention uh, the Alexis Sanchez deal seems to be going through. I uh, I I had mentioned previously that I thought it was a really low. He was a really low risk. Um, this is a terrible transition, by the way, but I think it's pretty funny as just part of the general conversation about scams to think that like he would manage to market himself as like, as a 30, like, look, he's a good player, but like he's 31 and getting a long contract at 31 at, you know, Evan, you said it was 14 million pounds a year after taxes. So he is on, he's going to be on, someone did the math, 500,000 pounds per week. (laughs) This is crazy. these These are the report. It's unbelievable. These wages. 
The, in fact, the reason why he didn't go to Bayern and apparently the reason he didn't go to the city either is because of his crazy wage demands. They're like, no, you'll upend our fucking dressing room if you come in and make double our stars. And right. apparently United was willing to do this. I mean... It's, uh, it's completely insane. Um, I don't like going on too much about how, fo- how much football is owned because I think it is completely a product of what's happened behind yeah. the scenes in yep. the game. But it's insane. I think that has to be said. Well, I mean, what what's really... I mean, we... I. So I totally agree with that, James, mainly because like I think that the entire discussion, the whole dialogue about how much these people make is totally warped by the fact that the people that pay them make so much more, right? So like the pe- if you really want to get angry at people making lots of money, the people that you're angry at are the people that own the clubs, not the people that are to be quite frank like if you look at the american models of salary caps and stuff almost all the players are vastly underpaid like lebron james is making way less money than he actually is arguably worth given his production and 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 what he brings to his club so i mean look i think it's a great scam on alexi's part mainly because i think uh the the current market is you know he's not probably worth that in the current market but you know what if the Glazers are gonna fucking pay that for him, then then good on Alexis for getting that money, man. Get that paper. Um, I also, but here's I think the reason I wanted to bring it up. I don't really get what United sees in this acquisition at this point. Like it seems like they're pretty much out of the race, and bringing in like an older player to try to up their goal scoring is, I mean, a little bit too too little too late. So I think that. My my first thought is, and I haven't been, I haven't seen a great answer yet. I th- whether or not Alexis will be able to play for them in the Champions League. No, man, he's, st- he's cup tied. Is he cup tied? Well, then then that's fucking stupid. So he can't. So he can't play in the Champions League. They're and and you're right. They're they're not going to catch City, but they're basically locked into the top four. So they're they're already locked into the Champions League for next year. Um, and so I, I agree with you. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense unless it's just a thought that they're building, you know, adding another star for, you know, to chase city next year, I guess. Um, and, and this is just an opportunity. I, I think there's also a bit of a, you know, with that thought of, of catching city next year, a bit of a thought maybe on their part that it's, it's not just picking up Alexis themselves, but keeping Alexis from getting to city. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think one of the reasons why Manchester United have have made such a audacious, I guess, move for him, and um, because they kind of come out of nowhere, it was all city, 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 and now they've it, they've fallen away from the pack. Um, it's because Sanchez is a really fun player. Like I had oh, to watch is. him demolish. Oh. You know, when Aston Villa got to the FA Cup final, it was a momentous occasion for us. We just avoided relegation. We went to the FA Cup final. You know, we hope. And then Sanchez played, and I think everyone has seen the goal he scored against us, and it's incredible, and yeah. he brings joy. Um, Mourinho's United are really kind of good, but they aren't fun, and they don't look like they're having much fun when they play football. And I think Sanchez is someone who's going to bring joy. Mourinho... And regardless of any trophies or match winning, he's yeah. fun. And one little caveat, I actually just checked. So he, so Alexis is not actually cup tied because he's only played in the in the Europa League and not in the oh, Champions. Oh fuck, so, you're right. So he is good to play. So this makes it a li- just a hair more understandable because it does make them that much more dangerous in, to make a uh, a Champions League run. 
Yeah, all right. That I, I sort of buy that a little bit more. I, I actually also think, James, you're totally right. I mean, like, one of the real problems with the, the traditional way that Mourinho's eyes play is this total joylessness, which has been totally evident from their play. I mean, one of the things that, that, that the episode that Evan and I recorded making fun of the Arsenal fan TV people who, like, just fucking lost it after their side got, like, shit kicked out of them by United was that one of the reasons that they were so pissed off at, like, the... I'm sure. Okay, I I actually do want to get your take on this. I, I just want to finish my point, but I want to hear what you have to say about. It. One of the reasons they were so pissed off at the match of the day, people, is because watching that match, like United didn't look like they were having a great time or like really playing beautiful football. And like Alexis Sanchez, I mean, look, I remember I was so happy when he left Barcelona. Man, he is he is the real deal. And like bringing him onto any side is going to bring like to inject a level of pace and joy that you know, Mourinho sides need, and it's the kind of person, like, it reminds me a little bit of Angel Di Maria back when Mourinho was with Real Madrid, who was just this transformative figure for Mourinho when uh, when he when he coached Madrid, and Alexis really has a lot of similar aspects, except for, like, better in a lot of the offensive stuff, so it's a great signing, like, for the next couple of years, it's just he's also old enough that it's not really a long-term solution, but I guess Mourinho's not really a long-term coach, but I did want to know did you follow the uh, Arsenal fan TV fight with uh, the match of the day, guys? I saw clips of it. I don't follow much Premier League, admittedly. I, I do kind of watch Man City and Liverpool because they can't, they're actually genuinely fun to watch. However, um, you can't avoid the snare or lure or pull of uh, Arsenal fan TV because it's a phenomenon and I think they all know what they're doing and the people involved in it and I it was strange it was strange to see them having a big you know such a spat with the match of the day people uh I think they've done it before those um some high profile figures maybe it was Sky Sports um Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher oh that had Evan, we before. have to we have to unearth that you we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go find that and do it do it do our I mean I'm sure people have talked about it but we haven't talked no about it. we haven't I mean like the idea that like these like the way that these dudes talk like they're just normal like working class Londoners they're like sitting outside the stadium yelling drunkenly about their team that that these people could like make Alan Shearer get so angry that he goes on and like goes on a rampage on Twitter is so funny like I just it's like I I actually still think it's one of the funniest things that we've discussed on the show just because of the way the vast and amazing reaction like each one of the match of the day hosts tweeted about it including fucking Premier League goal leader Alan Shearer going on to one of the Arsenal fan TV dudes' pages their feed, and fucking his feed. quote tweeting him about the game. It's unbelievable. That is that would be an honor for me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I've pissed off so many people in my life on Twitter, but having Alan <laughs> Shearer, Alan Shearer, you know, English football legend, quote tweet you, it'd be. It'd make my day. Hey, man, I had uh, recently, uh, whatever the American version of that is, when Mr. Alexi Lawless and I got into it. Um, very good. Uh, very awesome experience <laughs> for me also. Uh... <laughs> I think we – so we we have a couple favorite. You know, we, we have Regis Stability. We have Alexi Lawless. I think we need to revisit Arsenal Fan TV. Like, they deserve to be in our shit list yeah. of people we go to for bad takes along with yeah. with Sir Alexi and uh, and Mr. Regis Stability. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I actually think that we need to investigate Tab Ramos. So this is the last subject, and it's only going to touch on it. So Tab Ramos, Evan, is current – 
uh, interim U.S. men's national team coach, came out with a very, very obnoxious uh, statement today on the Gonzalez, Jonah Gonzalez stuff. And this gets into the article that I wrote, right? So uh, Tab Ramos said, uh, here's the thing. Either you're ba- – essentially he said either you're an American or you're Mexican and you have to make that decision. Uh, and it was really – it's a tough It's a tough thing to hear, I think, for me, you know, as someone who is, is like torn between both worlds, but also as the head coach of a program that is one of the – I don't know how to really exactly put this, but the United States is a program that really is going to rely on people like Gonzalez making the choice to play for the United States because not because Jonah Gonzalez isn't an American, like the way that Klinsman went out and got all these like Germans who also have American parents who like, yeah, they're Americans, but they're like, they're more tied and more pulled towards Germany. He went in and convinced them to play what, 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 what Gonzalez, the issue is that he is, a born born in America to Mexican parents like really is a split right down the middle classic dual national. This is the exact archetype of what a modern American footballer is going to be like to have the national team coach come out and say something that really, you know, it goes so hard against that. It's, it's, it's indicative of this Alexi Lala's like, well, it should be an honor to be called for the American national team, you know, attitude that doesn't understand and doesn't, even attempt to deal with the complexities of being someone who has, you know, uh, an identity that's pulled in different ways like that. Yeah. I mean, so like you're not going to browbeat these kids into playing for the U S men's national team. And, and that's what, you know, we're going to talk a lot more next week about, you know, in, in maybe in, in, in higher terms and in more abstract terms about what it means to be a dual citizen. And, and you wrote a, a, just a really fantastic piece with Liz on Ballon d'Order about this that everyone should check out. Um, and you have experiences with it. That I just don't have, and, and maybe we have different perspectives sometimes, but just from a pure practical perspective, if you think that you're going to go into Jonah Gonzalez's living room with his family and say, so you're with the team, right? You're an American, right? And if you're not, piss off. If you think that that's the strategy to get these kids to choose to play for the U.S. men's national team, then you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it completely ignores their actual real lived experience. And it's just not, you know, just, you know, we're both lawyers. So our job is to convince, you know, argue about things. And your audience is a really important part of how you do that. You argue differently to a jury than you do to a judge than you do to a regulator. Like it, it depends on who you're talking to. And when you're theoretically have the best interest of the team at heart, which means having getting the best talent, the most talent into the team, you're a hundred percent right. You've got to be able to pitch the team better than just, you know, well, if you, you know, you, I mean, it's essentially love it or leave it, right? That's what he's saying. And it, it's just, it's really depressing given that everyone seemed to agree that change need to have happen. Uh, one of the currently most important people in the U S soccer hierarchy to come out with just such a tone deaf yeah. response to Gonzalez's decision. So James, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this is, is I, I, I think that it's interesting to get a perspective because to be quite frank, like this is a little bit of a new world perspective. I don't mean like new, uh, new world, but like, I mean like this is a little bit of a American specific 
or like and with when it comes to lids like it's basically just communities that are diaspora right so like in england especially there's like a a large influx of people from the colonies right so they're people from india and nigeria and all that stuff but i'm also interested in like how you like interpret this kind of you know relationship with players that might have dual loyalties like i think especially uh, and I'm interested, you know, in, in your perspective here also, because like when when ta- so I've talked to my French, a couple of friends of mine who are French also. Right. And, and the French actually have a very interesting perspective on this, too, where they actually do feel very much like Tab Ramos. Right. Where they're like, well, you're French, but like their entire national team is essentially people that they've that they've colonized. Right. So I'm, I'm interested you know, I don't know if you could speak to some of this stuff or if you have anything else to add. I, I don't know. I didn't have like a particular question in mind when I opened. I just I'm interested in your like your, your perspective here. I think from what I've come to understand about being English and uh, English football, especially as compared to America, I've been to, obviously I've been to America once I've seen I, American news consumes my news feed. Um, you know, I speak to American people a lot. I feel like there's a differing perspective. Whereas, if you're English, it's almost like the base layer, mm-hmm. like you're you are English, and then you have other things that your identity is built upon. Like maybe your parents from Nigeria, so you, you are born in England. You are English because of your passport. You grow up and play for the English national team at youth level. Um, but you have attributes of your character that are from your Nigerian background and from your Nigerian family um, or your Ghanaian family. If you're like Albert Adoma, who plays right. English, his accent's English, he uses English slang, he's born in Harrow, played for all sorts of clubs, eats at KFC, he's English. You well, know, he's, he's an English he's, he's, right. he's a European, he's Western, you know, he's of Western identity. However, his character is... You know, he brings out the traits in his family. He loves to dance. He loves to get cultural. He loves to make comments. He loves to speak, you know, drop in and out of different languages. Um, the slang, some, you know, he brings in slang words from, you know, his background. Mm. Whereas if you're American, I feel that especially in this day and age, it's more authoritarian where being American is the be all and end all of the situation. And being American isn't the base layer. It's everything. Um, mm-hmm. Your culture is American. Your identity is American. You're a patriot, or you're not. And um, there's, there's very much. I think when people look back at this era of time, they will say it's an era of absolutes. Um, I think we'll probably get there in England if things carry on maybe the way they're going. But right now, um, when you see the English national team, you see people with all different sorts of names, names that aren't constructed from the usual, you know, English background. You do, you know, you have more double-barreled surnames from people with. that's that's very enriched in caribbean culture that's come over to england where you know people have names like ebanks blake or thomas ebanks right stuff like that you know where they're honoring both parents you you know you see a lot of that in england but they they are still english but they bring out their background their background is all you know becomes their identity rather than their nationality that they're all for the flag all for everything but and um so with, with some of these people, like you wouldn't harbor like anger or resentment to them if they chose to go play for, say, Trinidad, right? Absolutely none at all. I go back to Albert Adoma, especially um, Villa Winger, who I've been speaking about, because he played at the 2014 World Cup for Ghana, even though he, as far as I know, he was born in England. He's been He's brought an, up in right. England. Mm-hmm. He's an Englishman for all intents and purposes. He's right. an Englishman, apart from the fact that his parents are from Ghana. 
So he's went and played for Ghana, and you don't feel any ill will at all. Could he have got into the England team? Probably not at all. But he's he, he's chosen to play for the nation that's accepted him, or not that English people haven't, but the right. nation that's called him up, the nation that's brought him into the fold. He's an outsider in that Ghana team, you know what I mean? He's <laughs> He's been brought up in England. He hasn't played, you know, in, in France, so he doesn't speak French. You know, he, he doesn't speak, uh, you know, any of the adopted languages of Africa at all. He's English, and uh, he finds himself over there. I, I just respect, so, I, I have nothing but respect for that so, kind of situation. Gabe, one thing I was thinking about um, recently is, especially with the Tab Ramos comments that I saw on Twitter, is is I, I was brought to mind the shitty comments from the uh, what's his name, the Italian national team coach, who was complaining about how the oh, Italian yeah, yeah. national team wasn't really Italian, how they were all from somewhere else, and he wanted more actual Italians. And I guess just in partial defense to you know the U.S reaction to Gonzalez choosing to go play for Mexico, I think it's good that the U.S. wanted him, right? It's good that the general um, the general response isn't, well, you're not really an American. You should yeah. have gone and played anyway. The response is it is a little bit it, – it's still, I think, obtuse in that saying, well, you don't really love your country. But they are considering that he is an American, that yeah. he, and basically you are an American and you should love your country enough to play for us, right? You are wanted. He is wanted. They're not trying to push him away the way, for example, the comments in Italy were trying to push away that's um, a great point. You know, non-white Italians. And so I think that's a, a, a plus side. It, it's just more a, a matter at this point of grappling with – you know, how do you speak in a more compassionate way to people with dual identities in a way that's also effective in a technical sense at convincing them that they do actually want to play for the U.S. men's national team? Right. And so, like, obviously, there's the pitch that we we, we discussed and that I fought with Alexi about. And I'm saying Alexi as if I know him, but like that we fought about on Twitter. But like but there's also like the this kind of base level that Kevin um, in, in his article and like, look, again, we're going to talk about this soon, but Kevin in his article really gets to the kind of heart of this, which is like there is a base level misunderstanding or at least uh, unwillingness to deal with some of the complexities of I, and what I what I would, to be quite frank, speak of as not just the kind of colonial experience. Right. So like as a Spaniard, like we are very happy to bring in someone like Diego Costa uh, even though like we're going to, and we can pretend to put away the, put aside the reason that someone like Diego Costa might be a Spaniard is because like the, the, and just like, you know, in, in England, James, you guys can kind of, you know, look aside of the fact that like the reason like that as someone whose parents are from Ghana, like might be English is because of like this history of colonialism uh, in the United States. It's like a much more, it's, it's not even much more, it's just a different experience where you have, a, a kind of immigrant you know society that is desperate to kind of create its own mythology uh where you know people like people like me and people people like Jonah Gonzalez are people who uh have this kind of dual personality the split dichotomized personality identity that maybe doesn't quite fit into, as you described, James, this kind of rising idea of American authoritarianism, American identity that um, is being pushed right now that is very totalizing, right? Like, you can't be something else if you're American, which is very much like the very 
early and kind of birthing pains of uh, the beginning of a culture almost. Like in Spain, for example, like it is, in my view, very hard to be Spanish and something else. Like, sure, you can, uh, we'll, they'll happily bring in Diego Costa, but they're still not really ever going to call him a Spaniard. They'll call him an Hispano or a, 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 a Brasileño Hispano. Like, a, you know, like the, there's always a dash with Diego Costa, just like there was with Marco Senna back in the day. Like, these players are always, and these people are always going to have a dash. And I, I, I wonder whether, you know, the United States is going, and like whether Spain's history of modern, like fascism and authoritarianism and, and whatnot contributed to that. I know I'm just riffing right now, guys, and you can just cut me off whenever you want, but like if that contributed to this feeling of not being welcome, like having, not having dual identities really be welcome there. And it's annoying and, and problematic that I see some of the same characteristics popping up right now in the United States. And I'm not saying that fucking United States is fascist. I'm not. I'm just saying that like some of the comments that you see about Jonah Gonzalez and then like literally some of the people responding to me personally, like you're not really American. Like that's the kind of shit that I've been getting my whole life. So like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a strange thing to hear because like, you know, I, I also know that like in multicultural European cities, like or European places like England, you know, especially in London. Right. And also in Berlin, like there is like this really big embrace of an understanding of like certain immigrant populations as Englishmen or as Germans as much as they are from wherever they're from. But like, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm riffing, but like, I, 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 I find this all quite, you know, personal, right. On a level that maybe, uh, we haven't like, I I'm, you know, I'm not super sincere person when I get on, uh, social media or on podcasts. So like, this is me opening up a little bit, gentlemen. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's welcome. I think, you know, um, I'm not sure if I have dual heritage. I mean, I can trace my background to certain places. I can trace it to America and Ireland, but I've only ever felt English, and that's not something that's ever been enforced on me. You know, I haven't been taken to any rallies or celebrations of being English. <laughs> it's just something that's kind of just happened. Um, so I'm not totally clued into how it feels to be a dual national. And through you know your articles and what you've just said, you. you you do get this sense of uh, it probably isn't the best thing at sometimes because you you might not know who you are or who you belong to or who's got your back essentially yeah and i think that that's a shame that people genuinely feel like that because it is a genuine feeling that you know i think we can take a football aspect with owen hargreaves the england footballer who grew up in you know he's got welsh parents he grew up in canada and played football in germany um, he had his football education in Germany and he comes to the England team with a Canadian accent, a German footballing background. He's, in, he's completely English, though. You know, he yeah. all of his character is, you know, an Englishman, but he's not accepted until he plays good football. So, he, you know, he has to build up that cultural capital almost. And I think that's a shame that he isn't accepted straight away. I think England have done their moment now and they've got past someone who wasn't he didn't grow up in England being part of you know a mainstay of the English football team so hopefully in the future if we come to a yeah. situation like that again we are fine yeah and like that's that's really interesting I mean like one of the things you said you like you weren't brought to these like to any rallies where like it was enforced on you and that's definitely you know something that's I think you know, special about 
I don't know, like maybe the modern experience of countries that really evolved democratically. But like in Spain, my dad was forced to go every uh, day to a nationalism, essentially rally in his school. Right. And like this understanding of what it means to be Spanish was something that a that the dictatorship that Franco really, really shoved shoved down the, the the throats of these these uh these kids so like as adults now like it is very hard for them to look at someone like me and say well you're spanish because to them they they see someone who you know their entire conditioning right is telling them well they're not spanish because they weren't born here and they weren't named after i mean i was uh, it's funny it one of the requirements in fascist spain was that you were named after a saint uh, my dad's name is Jacques, but he was named Jacobo on his Spanish birth certificate, which has created a huge amount of nightmares for him. Uh, but yeah, so like they, you know, they don't, I haven't like really suffered through all the different or, 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 or gone through all the cultural signifiers that would create, you know, in me a Spanish heritage, which is, you know, another facet of this whole thing, right? Which is the, the, the specific cultural identity that I come from is even less conducive, right? Than, uh, other heritage that to uh, to accepting you know people you know from dual nationals, which is I, I think also an interesting part of, of of the story that Liz and I were trying to tell. Um, but I think getting back to the, the 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 footballing aspect, and I think just to close that because we've been going for a while. I mean, like I, I love chatting about this stuff with you guys. You guys rule, James. You thank you so much again for coming on. But uh, just to, to t- tie it all back, countries are better when they bring in the best players. <laughs> I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that. And if you can make a credible claim that a very good player wants to uh, and and you know, feels that he should play for your country or she should play for your country, I don't think you should turn them away just because they don't quite fit the criteria of what you understand to be your your country or your cultural heritage. I mean, Giuseppe Rossi is an incredible soccer player and he chose to play for Italy. But if he had chosen to play for the United States, he would have been arguably the best player in the history of this country. And we shouldn't have turned him away if he had tried to make that call. I'm not saying we did. I completely agree. I think the the world is richer um, when we learn from the experiences of others and when we invite others into our group and i think it's something we should now accept that is the default um unfortunately i think in the world we aren't and in football you know in football in nations authorities i don't think it's i've read kevin's article it's obviously something that um the u.s isn't doing um so i think it's a huge shame that the u.s a country built you know built by immigrants a country that's thrived by immigrants is kind of now not supporting the passions and hobbies of maybe those second or third or fourth generation of uh, people who grew up in immigrant families from a different cultural backgrounds. I think it is. A sh- I think it's something we need to uh, really, really, really fight for changing. Well, and Evan, like we we discussed a little bit about this, but like this is one of the greatest. I mean, like objectively, the United States is set up to be a actual contender in world football, and decisions to not pursue talented prospects are actively harming that. Yeah. I mean, we've got the talent, we've talked about it here several times. We have the talent base we have to, to be really good. I mean, we have a superstar, which is very important for international football and Christian Pulisic. You, 
like we just need to not fuck it up and that's <laughs> all like all over the place. Like, alligated. It like it's it's in the net it's in you know with the you know presidential election coming up for the federation don't fuck it up with how <laughs> We're going you to coach don't fuck it up and with <laughs> developing the talent that's going to come through with these guys and be the younger players eventually playing with these guys just don't fuck it up <laughs> and we're going to i mean like we know we're going to so i mean <laughs> We're actively trying to fuck it up. Oh, well, if we're going to fuck it up, we can at least try to make some money on it. So if we're going to do it, we might as well start scamming. And like, let's think of let's work on thinking of some good scams like uh, marketing some raw water to some of these uh, U.S. soccer uh, candidates, because man, oh, man, uh, could we make some good money, folks? Just straight out of fucking prison, and the worst thing is, at best, it's like four weeks. At worst, it's literally four days. Like actually committing a massive crime. Oh, he just walks out. He's like, "All right, cool guys, thanks so much. I'm gonna go do some more terrorism. That's cool." And they're like, "Yeah, it's cool." He's like, "All right, do you guys have a light?" He's like, "Yeah, cool." And then he lights up his cigarette and walks away. Yeah, and uh, how a major character like is introduced um, as part of the plot. Then uh, he's shot by accident, <laughs> dies alone, um, curled up in a corner of a fucking unnamed ship. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! So... And then I forgot about this next part. Sorry, Evan. I literally just listened to the show today. But like the moment that Spider-Man sprains his ankle, that's the least. Yeah. Like, can you imagine, like Spider-Man, whose whole thing is that like he can climb up walls and like can get thrown off of buildings and not break any like break any bones. Like fucking like jumps onto a, a ship and sprains his ankle. Like a fucking like me if I tried to play basketball ball on a moving show like it's so funny it is it is really it's just spectacular how stuff happens and how it unfolds and it is genuinely like he's bumble fucking around he's just like learning <laughs> on the job i guess uh, yeah it is a blast it's a genuine blast um, to read each one and i uh, can't wait it's gonna get serious soon though when uh, we get to the modern age well, uh, i think we'll be able to we'll have to uh make stuff up on the fly off you gotta so. riff a little yeah you're gonna have to riff a little more because just like batman like it gets super fascist like all comics do right like any no, comic fuck or... that. no batman's amazing stop it batman <laughs> evan i'm sorry batman is a fascist like it just is you're dude a fascist. yeah well batman is a rich man who spends all of his money to beat up poor people so <laughs> and in the film yeah um so bane mispro- comes to save the city i, I do believe that criminal. bane Bane comes, Bane comes to free the public of Gotham, and uh, Batman's there using his money to beat up on the uh, poor. Right, it? right. I mean, the hero, the tragedy, uh, the movie tragedy, uh, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, where the hero loses in the end. Yeah, that's a good movie. I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like, in all seriousness, like, I love Batman. He was my favorite. I've read all of those comics also. So, like, he, he, like, I. I fucking love comics. It was so cool. I actually didn't know the genre of show uh, that you uh, that you guys were doing, and like it exi- Like that's so cool. Like I'm so into it now. Um, I-, I saw like you guys interact. I think with a Guardians of the Galaxy canon show, which is awesome. Also, like I haven't even listened, but I'm definitely in now too. I don't even know. I think that might even be like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or something. There's oh, a I fucking number. love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, but then I think that's the one. Um, yeah, we uh, 
Like the point of it was never to have like a Patreon. The point of it is to never have like a hundred followers or even anything. Yeah. It was just to do it. And I just genuinely like don't want people to be alone. So I want to invite them into our friendship sort of thing. Yeah, dude. Okay. I mean, why do you think Evan and I do this show? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, we had no fights. Kind of like, hey, let's this we can keep in touch this way now that I'm moving away, and yeah. I don't know, maybe fucking people will listen. And no, it's good. And if they don't, who cares? Right, exactly. Yeah. And like, we can bring on other cool people to like joke with, and like, and also obviously have serious analytical discussions. With. Well, like, and we move all over the place. We do right. stupid fucking funny bad take show and then we do oh let's talk about goddamn money laundering in italy right and like let's bring on um uh ernesto and like do a really serious show about the allegations about fifa <laughs> uh, and then another one we talk about how u.s men's national team is hawking diet pills oh oh great yeah the sugar pills are fucking hell oh so cool i it's so cool i actually love that was one of the coolest things we've ever found on this show when <laughs> it's so good when we when like we were reading that stupid email we realized there. on air so we didn't really realize on air it was a goddamn diet pill it was a diet pill <laughs> they were hot we knew it was sugar pills and we knew we were going to talk about we realized on like while recording there was a fucking diet pill <laughs> like selling selling diet pills to coaches <laughs> for their like obese like 10 like, year old 11 year old <laughs> fucking center attacking mid <laughs> Uh, is your ten-year-old goalie too fat? Like, is your the USSF diet pills? <laughs> could could your wing play use a little more pace? <laughs> the next step is just like yo, like the Ru- that's literally what the Russians are doing too, right? They're like yo, like hey, uh, is your uh, gymnast like? 10 year old gymnast not quite jumping high enough Yo, check Gabe, out these like I'll, amphetamine I'll, steroid <laughs> combinations Gabe, i feel like we totally blasted past fifa refusing to test oh, the russian fuck. world cup team there's that whole documentary come out icarus fucking blowing the lid on it have you guys seen that and then yeah. they're just kind of nah yeah it's, it's not a problem yeah, yeah. is that on yeah, netflix well, FIFA, fifa's that. like we don't fucking care the olympic committee is like we're banning all russians and fifa's like yeah we're not even gonna test this is cool. I'm actually still recording this, so we can actually just talk about this anyways. But like, <laughs> but no. In, in all seriousness, like, I I mean, like, what do we expect? FIFA literally is having their World Cup there. They cannot just be like, oh, by the way, like the host of the World Cup is injecting like their fucking players with amphetamines into their dicks so they run faster. Like that's it's not exactly like something they're going to be able to do. Even though like. It is literally that is what's happening and everyone knows about it. And like the U.S. Olympic Commission is like, hi, we know. And we not only that, we have fucking evidence that you got these people are all being doped. And FIFA was like, yeah, cool. Why don't you like fax it to us? And like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think any nation or their football association is ever sufficiently pissed off with the uh, with FIFA. I think it's only England who are ever pissed off with them and filing reports against them. I don't know any <laughs> other FA or football association in the well, entire world. I mean, I'm a novice to this. I only know what happens in England and our FA, but we're constantly fucking complaining about them. Well, and that's the best of all. No, you're totally right. That's the best in all the world, but that's only because like every FA is like the way we described it last week is that FIFA is the godfather and these guys are all just like trying to pretend to be it. So like if FIFA is like, 
running this huge international corrupt ring where they like literally launder money for Putin. The United States Soccer Federation is hawking diet pills to 10 year olds, right? Like this is like the fr- like not Fredo, but like Fredo's kid versus like Don Corleone, right? Like, if we're going to do a Godfather like analogy, FIFA are the real like absolute top of the line corruption shit. And it's kind of cute that the Americans are even trying to get in the game at all. Yeah. In the in the most fucking American way possible, which is let's just scam some people to buy some sugar pills. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I just had a great idea. Fucking USSF should sell raw water to some of the oh coaches. Oh my god, there it is. <laughs> and, the, and there and there you go. There you on go. Like, hey, like juiced a... up kids vomiting on the side of the fucking <laughs> underfunded public fucking soccer. Well, I mean, <laughs> what I want to know is or not enough of ever... your kids dying on the pitch from fucking Giardia. <laughs> Like well, buy that, our raw water that the raccoons bathed in. <laughs> has anyone ever looked into the benefits that amoebas can have on your soccer performance? That's what I want to know. <laughs> what are the like, advertisements? <laughs> what are the advertisements? Though they were like, we don't like that. Like they, these filtered waters keep taking out all the algae. <laughs> I don't know that this filtered water takes out the flesh-eating virus in the water. <laughs> the flesh. <laughs> I hate that the flesh that the uh, that the, these stupid Brita filters like take out all the lead that's making my kid become a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like the FIFA stuff is. I mean, like I almost like don't know if there's any like bigger thing to talk about, right? Just because like, what do we expect out of FIFA? Like, what do we think they're going to do? Like, maybe after the World Cup, then they'll be like, oh, by the way, we're going to ban the Russian national team from playing in the next World Cup that they're not going to qualify for anyways. Yeah, I think they can't really top having a World Cup in 2022 literally built on the bodies of dead people. Yeah, I think that's that's the master plan. It's it's they've. The game is done. Like it's already done. That's the what if it? What if it's actually right. just one big troll? And they're all and they're like Seth Blatter for years was like, God, I can't fucking believe they keep letting me get away with this. <laughs> what can I do next? It's just and he's like, like, what if I put a World Cup in the summer in the desert and build the stadiums with slave labor? Surely, surely, surely they will not allow me do to do well, this. Well, it's like I keep watching this TV show with uh, my uh, fiance Eleanor called criminal minds which is like just a show about serial killers right and like one of the things that like serial killers in this show do is like escalate their shit when they think they're not going to get caught and that's exactly what you just described like he's like well they're not going to catch me for laundering like blood money from putin so like how else am i going to like show that i'm powerful i'm going to like hire you know, or not even high, like buy slaves from you know the Indian subcontinent and give the money to someone who literally pays me in like fucking sacks with dollar signs on them <laughs> delivered to my like Swiss hotel uh, and uh, like they have journalists there to literally take photos of like the dead bodies that are encased in the concrete of the stadiums <laughs> like. I mean, I, I, so I, what I'm really fascinated, though, is so what do you think was next on Seth Blatter's, Blatter's plan? My thought is he was going to have FIFA start running just 24-hour, just frivolously burning carbon fuels <laughs> so that they can melt the ice caps and have the 2040 World Cup in Antarctica. There you go. <laughs> oh, I think, I think I can one-up that for the next World Cup after that. I think they will construct a moving city 
almost like Howl's Moving Castle. Um, <laughs> the world, I think we will have pre- approached a, you know, an onset nuclear winter, the way it's going. I think we'll, yeah. you know, be in a right. semi-post-apocalyptic environment. It'll be a moving city, almost built out of ragtag cars and football pitches like Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, and there shit. will be death matches taking place on yeah. that. No, that's it's such that's a really good idea. Good. The other option for that, right, post-apocalyptic scenario is that, like, the rich people just Elon Musk it and, like, go to the moon in this, like, fucking uh, ragtag, you know, uh, uh, rich billionaire colony. So the next World Cup after all this shit is just, like... World oh, Cup 2080, like, Sea of Tranquility. Right. <laughs> exactly. World Cup 2080... Uh, everyone is wearing gravity boots on the moon, uh, <laughs> and it's uh, all like built by the uh, fucking Blade Runner robots. <laughs> like... <laughs> right, a World Cup completely funded by Peter Thiel, um, who <laughs> make, clones a team of himself and uh, inject drinks the blood of the best football players across the world to make a, a perfect team, and you can only buy tickets via PayPal. <laughs> Using Bitcoin. (laughs) What if referees were just computers? (laughs) Oh, I'm done. Any team that beats him automatically. He's got that algorithm that automatically files lawsuits, the sick fuck. Any team that beats him is automatically sued. (laughs) That... That's actually really upsetting. <laughs> Did you know about that? Like we're, that we're riffing all this, but uh, that's really upsetting. I didn't know that he had all that. He has a, have you not seen that, like, Gorka documentary on Netflix where he crowdfunded a fucking I have so much to watch to tonight, guys. find cases that can be won and crowdfunded? Oh, my God. That's what, fucked up. What if the justice system were just a computer? <laughs> okay, I I don't have any more like Black Mirror riffs, but like this is this shit like I don't have any like intelligent FIFA takes because I feel like first of all we've done a bunch of intelligent FIFA takes with already on this show, but also with Ernesto. But like I don't, I mean like in all seriousness, like we talked about how uh, on the last show, James Evan and I talked about how FIFA is basically just. Uh, a nonprofit masquerading as a corporate or as a pro- for or sorry a for profit entity not masquerading as a nonprofit and like this shit is just another indication of that right because the nonprofit status allows FIFA to pretend that they don't have to comply with some of the governance rules that these other organizations might follow and like one of the things that like is actually a fact about nonprofits and international nonprofits is that they are very good at laundering money. So like FIFA is a hugely profitable front that enriches these cabal of like fucking rhombozoid douchebags like Jack Warner and like the fat dude from the United States who had all those cats. Like that's it. That's all I have to say. Like there's nothing else. Like, and like VR in Spain, who is just like this horrible alcoholic who tried to like give his son the profits to all of the Spanish national team friendly it's like he literally did that the fa is not in england's not much better though because we've recently instituted the rooney rule and i think you'll be familiar with that whereas you hire like one you interview sorry a single candidate (laughs) or multiple from a um you know a non-majority background so you're hiring you know ethnic minorities 
But our Rooney rule is where you hire the friends of Wayne Rooney. So Phil <laughs> Neville is getting the England women's job. And, and, and Ryan uh, Giggs is the Welsh uh, coach now too. Fucking insane. <laughs> so yeah, uh, um, no, that's the FA. All right, guys. Let's not mention the the the, uh, <laughs> the child abuse. No, um, right, not even, not, not, not even to get there. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I should we should probably just wrap this shit up at this point. But uh, James, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you this whole time. Um, everyone should check out obviously uh, AC Milan offside. Uh, uh, seventy five hundred to hold, but and I and I I can't stress this enough. I'm a huge fan of swinging through Spider Man. I know I was like messing with it a little bit at the beginning of the show. It's a genuinely great podcast. Very uh, funny and acerbic. You guys treat the material with uh, the love of people who genuinely enjoy comics, and you guys are both very funny. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on. Thanks for having me both. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, so thank you very much. <laughs> of course, man. All right. Thank you. See you both. Nossa, nossa, assim você me mata. Aí se eu te pego, ai, aí se eu te pego. Delícia, delícia, assim você me mata. Aí se eu te pego, ai, aí se eu te pego, ei. Na balada A galera começou a dançar E passou a menina mais linda Tomei coragem e comecei a falar Como é que é? Vai! Nossa, nossa, assim você me mata Aí se eu te pego, ai, aí se eu te pego Delícia, delícia, assim você me mata Aí se eu te pego, ai, aí se eu te pego Vai, vai, vai Sábado na balada O quê? A galera começou a dançar E passou a menina mais linda Tomei coragem e comecei a falar Nossa, nossa, assim você me mata Aí se eu te pego, ai, aí se eu te pego Delícia, delícia, assim você me mata Nossa, assim você me mata Aí se eu te pego, ai, aí se eu te pego Delícia, delícia, assim você me mata Aí se eu te pego, ai, aí se eu te pego Ei, Que delícia, hein? Aí se eu te pego